It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello! And welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny, and this is my show. And this week we are taking a break from the norm. I have wanted to do this for a very long time, and I want to look at wrestling in Puerto Rico. Uh, down there in that wonderful Caribbean island that produces some of the weirdest and most bizarre incidents in professional history. Some of them not so great. We'll talk about that as well. But to join me on this journey into the wide unknown for Western wrestling, modern wrestling fans, is Mr. Darrow O'Connor. How are you, sir? Hey, James. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me back on. Oh, God. Always a pleasure, sir. And uh, you were very popular last time, so nice to bring you back for a show. And oh, fantastic. I knew I knew you'd be the man that would embrace this wondrous cornucopia of weird wrestling. So strange. <laughs> so <laughs> weird. When you said that to me, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit more straightforward than, than last time. No, <laughs> it had a whole new bunch of questions. So I, I have I have a few observations that I will make as we go on. But um, yeah, man. Like, if you want to watch some weird ass stuff, James is your man. Hit him up, <laughs> add him on Twitter, and he'll give you some weird stuff to watch. <laughs> You're oh. like, okay, <laughs> okay. So Puerto Rico wrestling was around for a long time, but it really got cooking in the early 1970s with a company called World Wrestling Council, which we're going to look at first, and we're going to look at a show from the 15th anniversary show from 1988 called. A hot night in Bayamoon, which is what the commentators said over and literally three times a match. Um, yep. Strongly, we'll talk about the commentary in a minute because it's worth the price of admission alone. It's like it's like oh, really it. terrible, good, terrible. <laughs> uh, but, here's my thing. My question before we get into it, right? Yeah. Was was this the actual commentary or was this redubbed? This is redubbed. Yeah, okay, I knew it. Had to be, two, had to be. Two of the people who are in it are actually wrestling on this card. So it was re- <sighs> it okay. was commercial VHS release for an American audience. Because right. See, that, that made sense. Because that's why I was wondering. One, I'm like, how is, how is this sounding so good? And also, <laughs> it doesn't sound any way like it. But the commentary is fantastic. It's like, it's like a Twitch stream. That's the best way I can describe it. Or someone just they just don't care, or they care too much at random points. So yeah. Uh, yeah. super fun. Super it, fun. It's essentially three people trying to get themselves over at everyone else's expense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're just sitting there and you're like, Okay, I want to know what's going on in the match. No, but here's me and you're like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, World Wrestling Council was founded in nineteen seventy three by Carlos Cologne. And a gentleman you may have heard of, Mr. Gorilla Monsoon. Yes, that Gorilla Monsoon, who was involved in the company whilst he was working for the WWE up until 1988. And there were close ties with NWA offices, which is really bizarre. It's like, you know, we've had this thing this week with the WWE not allowing their employees to use third-party companies. That's something that's not allowed, and we, we, we frown upon that. But their lead commentator for their biggest show in the eighties owned another company. Yeah, well, look, I, it is it is a it is a different. Like, for example, the difference between having a Twitch or camera, isn't it? Or cameo? That's some cameo. Yeah, yeah I, I not fairly were cameo. Um, but like, that's the internet. You know, it, it's probably different than this, where it's an oddity 
and you have to look for it, you know, unless you live in in Puerto Rico. So there's only so much damage it can do. But our next one is even more weird, where yeah. I have all the questions in the world about this one. <laughs> then that one. This one is more like, well, it's the 80s. You know, Vince didn't really have the stranglehold that yes. would. Yet it would be more WCW had a stranglehold at this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, Carlos Colon, obviously the father of uh, Kalito. And, you know, there's a lot of famous names here that would be like WWE guys. Um, yeah. So it's look as I said it. They're probably like, look, it's in the middle of nowhere. Nobody really cares. Go have a good time. <laughs> it's not like the stream. It's not like now where you do a stream and everyone can watch it right away, yeah. and whatever they say comes back and bites in the arse, like what did with, with um, AJ Styles, where he, he basically went off on Paul Heyman. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like they are kind of different things, but. Something like this you wouldn't see nowadays. I would just in no way. Well, I'm so glad it exists because it's so crazy. Also, a fire match. Oh yes, that is the main That's event. That's a thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. Oh, it, oh, it, it's excellent. Oh, also, the other owner was Victor Havikia. Carlos Colon and Victor Havikia still own the company to this day. They've owned it since 1973. So for 47 years, it's been the home of Major League Wrestling in Puerto Rico. Now, this was a big card. It was at Juan Ramon Real Stadium in Bayamoon. 23,000 people in attendance will tell you. And Puerto Rico fans, and what I like about Puerto Rico fans is they buy it. They are all Oh, in. it's real. Oh, it's They're real. Like, like, here's the thing. Like, Dutch Mantel talks about being attacked in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, excuse me. Uh, you know, having to work down there. There's some good interviews with him, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'd believe that. These guys think it's real. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's very much it, it's because Puerto Rico is an American territory. The American yeah. citizens. It's very much like watching the NWA or WWE from the 1980s. However, deep, or Deep South even as well. It yeah. Like that too. Yeah. However. Because they speak Spanish, and obviously Mexico has such an influence on the Caribbean region, mm. it's very much lucha libre orientated as well. Yeah, so, it's, it's a weird mix between the two. Yeah, it, it's it's just incredible. It's it's it, it, there's Rudos and there's Technicos. There aren't heels and faces. So, and which is always like the bizarre thing about Mexico, which protects kayfabe absolutely, but mm. they admit that there are bad guys and there are good guys, and that's part of the story. <laughs> yeah, well, look, you know, I, I think. It's a much more of a problem in the next one we're going to talk about, where that just gets crazy. Yes. Uh, at least with this, you know, we can go through it in a much more uh, palatable way, where there's a match, a match, a match, and a clear story, even if the heel babyface thing jumps back and forward. Yeah. Later yeah. on, that just yeah, we'll get to we'll get <laughs> there. But um, I really enjoyed the presentation of this, um, even though it was really really strange. Uh, the commentary obviously is just look. We can't sell that enough. Watch the show solely for commentary; it's gas. But um, it, it's it, it's it's horrifically bad if you want like a good commentary team. But as far as like a bit of fun that adds to it, you know, as I said, it's like watching a Twitch stream. Um, Same. But I, I really enjoyed. It's like it's the first tag team hair hair versus hair match I've ever seen, which I was like, this is different. <laughs> this is this is new. Um, I liked the seeing the Welsh Simones in their prime, which was fun too. Yeah. Um, and the Iron Sheik wasn't expected him on the card. There no, it was. 
Oh, the Iron Sheik when he could still relatively go as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was just like, I haven't seen you as a broken down old man, so this is, <laughs> this is a treat. Like, it's insane, and it's well worth a watch. You can find it on YouTube, by the way. Just stick yep. in Hot Night and Bayer Moon, and you can find it on there. There were three matches that didn't appear on the VHS release. They were Dutch Mantel, who we just talked about, who would later See, become that's the a... thing. Dutch Mantel was in this territory for ages. I was, yeah. I was really expecting him to show up, and he didn't. No, no, he was on the card though. He was in the opener against Pez Watley, right? Pistol Pez Watley, who was a big draw in the Carolinas. This was an NWA, WCW, WWC co-promoted card, so there was lots of NWA wrestlers. Pez Watley was big draw in the Carolinas and Atlanta. Ended up being one of the bookers at the WCW, sorry, not the bookers, trainers at the WCW power plant, and had a run in the UWFI in Japan as a shooter because he was actually a pretty handy shooter. Uh, but Dutch Mantel went over in this one. Dutch Mantel would end up booking World Wrestling Council and said it was his favourite job he had as a booker because he'd just sit there sipping margaritas and write TV. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's well for some. Yes. Uh, Mike Graham, uh, son of Eddie Graham, the famous Florida Floridian promoter and another guy who was one of the big names in the backstages in WCW he was Eric Bischoff's right-hand man for a long time in WCW. And he defeated Don Kent. It was about 55 at this point. Uh, Don Kent of the Fabulous Kangaroos, one of the most famous tag teams of the 1960s. Um, and the WWC Caribbean Heavyweight Championship, Buddy Landell successfully defended against TNT. Now, you will know TNT, but you know him by a different name. Can you guess who it is? Without Googling? Without Googling, yeah. I, I give up. Go on. Savio Vega. Oh, that's who it is. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's who it is. I think Savio Vega actually deserves an entire episode of the Troopany Show to himself because he's actually far more influential (laughs) than you think. (laughs) Yeah, like, Savio Vega's career is very strange um, because by the time he got mainstream exposure, it was pretty much done and it wasn't very good. Um, Yeah, man. Wow, that's crazy. But I suppose but, it makes sense, right? Like, it's this would be kind of the uh, what I noticed about the show in general is, is like the nexus point of all these, like, of different eras of wrestling kind of connecting together. And it was yeah. like the last, like, it was one of, the, as I said, something that couldn't happen today because the way it works. But the, this is like one of the best things about the territory system where you can, you can have certain guys pop in and do different things, still have that uh, draw as such. Um, but without taking away from the the, the field um, and the feel of the show, like this, yeah. And even on the next one as well. Again, we'll talk about it. But there's guys who you know or recognize, but they're being used in completely different ways and completely different formats, completely different crowds, and it feels completely different. Um, and that's just great, you know. It's it's fantastic. But definitely, Selvi Vega. Uh, I feel sorry for him. It's kind of like uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, where he had like the best career ever in Japan. And then he gets to WWE and it's just a wet fart. Yeah. And to be honest, with Savio Vega, it was a WWE's fault. He actually went to New York and said he wanted to be a WWE wrestler. And he was like 18 years old. And uh, I can't remember. Somebody in the front office took a lie and said, yeah, but you need more experience. Go back to Puerto Rico. Go see Carlos. Get trained up. Spend some time. And he had most of his career in Puerto Rico in Japan. <laughs> and New Japan Pro did long stints in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was a great moves tag team partner. Um, and That's by- cool. By the time the WWF got to him, <laughs> he kind of like 
left it out on the field, if you see what I mean. I mean, he was a perfect serviceable wrestler and a good guy to have around, a really good hand, because he had that much experience wrestling different kinds of matches and different kinds of people because of the territory system. And there were big paydays in Puerto Rico. However, um, you know, that kind of wrestling takes a toll on the body. And it, it wasn't, he, he was a good wrestler by the time he got to the WWE. He wasn't really the superstar quality he had been when he was younger. Yeah. And look, again, that's Dr. That's Steve Williams is, is very yeah. similar style, you know, where he was, you know, I think we talked about this on the rewind as well. Or if we haven't, no, we have touched on it, but we haven't actually talked about the brawl for all properly. He was supposed to win it, and that was supposed to be his big thing, but he was already so beaten up by the time it went in that that was gone. And that's just, it's the problem with WWE, you know, owning everything where they can make these calls, but it is what it is. At least we have these great oddities to look back to anyway. Yeah, exactly. And this one doesn't fall within the, the WWC boundaries that Absolutely. The, the, the WWF have the access to that library. Yeah. But the first match on. Not yet. Give it time. <laughs> Carl, the pension plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to happen. You know, really. It'll just be like, oh, oh yeah. we bought this, and then, you know, you get, a DVD, you get a DVD release or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, the first match on the actual video release is Jimmy Valiant and Rufus R. Freight Train Jones against the Wild Samoans. Uh, Rufus and Jimmy win in 10 minutes and 20 some seconds by DQ. And this was kind of the classic Southern tag team match. And the yep. Samoans kind of back in the early days kind of wrestled as the wild savages the the well let's be honest really racist idea of what Samoans are supposed to be like mm-hmm. um, and in this one they're kind of just more like a heel tag team and yeah. I, it was this was this was fun this was never going to be like a technical masterpiece but there's some cool stuff in it and Jimmy oh, yeah. Valiant Jimmy Valiant and Ruth Rousseff Ray Train Jones are Charisma personified, they really are. You can really see why they were big names in the South. I mean, Rufus never really made it internationally, but he was he was a Mid Atlantic uh, Central States champion for a long time. He was a big draw in the Carolinas, uh, but probably most famous in his WWE run for wrestling Mike Shark four hundred times at Madison Square Garden, and, mm. and also losing to Andre the Giant in less than nine seconds at WrestleMania two, I think it was. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he he didn't really. He was nothing more than an enhancement talent up north. But he definitely was doing something good in the south, as they would say, a journeyman talent. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think that's I think that's the way they describe him. Look, this was an okay match. Um, by virtue of who who's in it and their size, they're all pretty big dudes. Uh, you don't expect a Mac Classic, which it was not. Um, no. but it was a fun opener. Um, the crowd loved it, which is. Honestly, the most important thing when you're doing one of these shows. Um, and yeah, I came across Grand on, on, on the tape. Um, I, th- I couldn't get over how shaky the ropes were. <laughs> I was like, they're going to fall. <laughs> Just I'll wait the whole time for, for them to fall, you know. But uh, yeah, also the, the way it's shot, is, it makes the ring look really super small. Um, I really can't get over it. You know the first time you go to a house show and the ring is tiny? Yeah. And that's that really was... They were the two things that... Was an, I think it was an 18-footer or a 16-footer. It wasn't the full 20-foot you used to in New Japan or WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, it was, it was the proper house show ring that WWE use, or used to use yeah. um, before they upgraded a couple of years ago. But yeah, man, like it, look, it was what it was. Uh, it got everyone over, um, and the crowd really enjoyed it. But when I, the finish was a bit... Ugh, I, you know, <laughs> they was. had this. They had this great little match, and then it just ends. And you're like, okay, 
It was the classic NWA squib finish of the over the top rope disqualification. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you could, you could, like, you, there was this is when they changed it where going up the top rope and going over the top rope was disqualification, or you know, there was a count or something like that as well. So, different times, and I think this, if you show you showed a finish like this to somebody, modern wrestling fan, they'd be like, What the hell's going on? And then you're like, Well, <laughs> there was this thing where you couldn't go to the top rope or you couldn't go over, you know, in, in, a, in a wrestling where we have over the top planches and you know, dives yeah. and stuff like that. It's just a different time, you know. Yeah, that was it. The most controversial use of that was the Tatsumi Fujinami Ric Flair main event at Starcade '92 in the Tokyo Dome. Starcade in the Tokyo Dome, where Flair, no, Fujinami backdrop Flair over the top rope, and Bill Alfonso, who was the NWA referee, disqualified Fujinami, but Tiger Hattori, who was the New Japan referee, uh, let it go and counted a pinfall afterwards. And oh, wow. Fujinami won the championship, but then was stripped of the, the belt uh, several days later. Which yeah, was okay. a there was a nice squib finish because you got the big reaction for Fujinami winning the NWA, WCW, and IWGP heavyweight championships in the Tokyo Dome. Mm. But it was a bit of a dusty finish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a, that was a typical actually there booking as well, actually, where you'd see that happening all the time. Yeah. Chris Jericho, I think that happened to it as well, where he won yeah. the belt and was stripped the next day. Yeah. Yeah, it was that was it was standard behaviour back in the day, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of standard behaviour back in the day, a bit of violence. Ricky Santana, who was the Puerto Rico heavyweight champion, and he defeated Mr. Pogo, our good friend Mr. Pogo of FMW fame, in 13 minutes and 42 seconds. Now, Ricky Santana was a handy wrestler and a big, mm. big baby face in Puerto Rico, obviously. Uh, and Mr. Pogo was the ideal heel. And was building a reputation as a hardcore legend, which enabled him to go to, back to Japan and FMW. And Mr. Pogo always interests me. There's a couple of guys that go off on excursion from Japanese companies and never come back. And Pogo was one of them. Pogo was a New Japan wrestler back in the early 70s. Went off to Stampede to train with Stu Hart. Never went back. Just picked up jobs and kept on working for himself in North America. Uh, became a big star in Puerto Rico because he quite liked the violence and then went back to Japan as a legend and a massive star. In fact, to the point where FMW put a guy in the ring at a stadium show in bandages and said it was Mr. Pogo because they hadn't quite signed him yet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. It's like, we haven't quite got him yet, but if we give him enough money, he'll come. But yeah, this was a nice heated affair. Ricky Santana versus Mr. Pogo. What did you think of this one, Darren? Um, you know, it was a, it, following on from a decent opener, I thought this was paced a little bit weirdly, Ooh. but I did really enjoy it. Um, cause I, I, it took me a while to kind of get used to this slower kind of approach, but I really like what I saw of Ricky Satana. I thought, you know, I want to see more of this guy. It makes sense. And that he became a legend because you can see that he has all the tools there to have a very successful career. Um, and same with Mr. Pogo, obviously playing the, the the heel in this. But um, yeah, it was what it was. Um, again, I was expecting a big big finish in this. Didn't really happen. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's it. I, I like I when I was watching the show, I'm kind of sitting there going, "Well, is this just the way it is? Is this the way these guys?" work you know just the way this crowds 
condition to go for because you know when you're watching modern shows now in any kind of company you kind of figure out how it's going to work and it, there wasn't really that big pop you know like no. you know there, there wasn't the big kind of thing Mr. Pogo obviously was doing a lot to really get over you know that I'm the bad guy here yeah. and that you really want uh, Satan to win so when when the finish came you know, obviously the crowd was going mad, but it, there wasn't a big spot to end the match. No, no, it wasn't the finisher match, was it? It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Like, it, no. and and I know that's kind of people like, oh, you're just being picky and conditioned to watch WWE style. It's like, no, like there's no, there's no kind of the storytelling didn't really match the intensity, of the intensity of the whole performance, which was I, weird. Like, you know, I, like I, I love that Pogo was there coming out with his whole, you know, shtick and that, but, you know, ending a match with a quick pin is kind of lame. It is. And I think Pogo learned his lessons because when he went back to FMW, he came to the ring with an actual sickle, which he would attack people with, blade mm. and to use oh, fire. Really. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I know. I mean, oh, he, he was in no rope, double hell exploding death barbed wire matches most of the time. And and still wrestled barefoot, by the way. <laughs> you know, fair play. There There is the joke with Matt Riddle where we're like, oh, you know, he's going to break that foot and then that'll be it. But, yeah. you know, well, fair play to him. Yeah, Pogo, Pogo was special. By the way, Ricky Santana, 61 years old, still wrestling. Fair um, play. Look- I'm looking at his uh, cage match here. He had matches last year in Florida, Puerto Rico, all sorts of places. So, yeah, he, he, Ricky Stan's still having, still having a crack. But this was an entertaining match. You can see why Ricky Stanton became a star. He did quite well on U.S. independence as well. Um, and, yeah, no, this was, this was worth it. But like you said, it, it, there's a lot of intense matches on this, and they can't have them all as bloodbaths. No. But equally no, no. deserved a little more of a... Big finish to make it really pop. Yeah, like you know that. It's weird because I'm not sure. Like for context, what would this show be like? Would it be an end to a series of storytelling? Would it just be a bit of TV or? No, this 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 would be WrestleMania. This is their big show. Okay, so. well then, yeah, well then they need to you know do better for a thirty well forty year old show. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> a thirty year old show. A thirty year old show. You know, do better. <laughs> Go back and do it again. Um, I know, but that was that was my only kind of problem with that match. And it would happen it would happen in the next match as well, um, where we'd have a a ref bump and yet the sheep herders who are the bushwhackers would still win. Um, it's like okay. So that's how that works. <laughs> but um you know, I don't know. I'd... look. When you're when you're drinking mar- margaritas, you're not really caring too much about your finish. So that, that's that's probably that's my takeaway when I see something like this. I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. I'm okay. not supposed to think too much on this, you know. But um, <laughs> it was disappointing because like those two matches, while the, the sheep herders tag match was fun, um, I would have ex- I, I accepted that finish a little bit more than the the Satana finish because I'm like, oh my god, this was such a good match. But look, it is what it is. It's just it's a shame. It's a shame that they went that road because everything else pointed to it being a much better experience. But I know. Yeah. I guess we can move on. Okay. So the next match was for the WWC World Tag Team Championships, and it pitted the champions, the Batten Twins, Bart and Brad Batten, who were also doing the commentary, 
mm. and bizarrely turning heel on commentary halfway through <laughs> this tape. They didn't turn heel just yet. I think Brad had turned heel and then Bart slowly joined him. They were also joined on commentary by Hugo Savanovich, who is more famous these days as the Spanish commentator for WWE. Um, yes, yeah. They defeated the Sheep Herders, that'd be Butch Miller and Luke Williams, better known as the WWE Hall of Famers, the Bushwhackers, who were actually a serious, seriously violent tag team in the 1980s. It's, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like hiring um, Hannibal Lecter to run a kindergarten uh, when well, they went to Bushwhackers. What? Well, a good kind of thing is like what they tried to do with John Moxley. Yeah. Dean Ambrose, where they tried to just, you know, play up that. It's like, yeah, the man who wrestles in glass and barbed wire isn't going to put up with this for very much longer. And he didn't. <laughs> so, that's, you know, um, so that's kind of what I've seen. But yeah, again, like, fun match. Um, Bushwhackers, won, uh, the, sorry, the Sheep Herders won. But there was some controversy because obviously a big ref bump. So it ended with a dusty. Dusty finish. Dusty of all the finishes. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, this was this was the thing. So like they used the flag to which which in this day and age does seem a bit weak sauce to hit somebody yeah. with a flagpole and get a pinfall out of it. Like yeah, I, exactly, exactly. You know, yeah, but... I've seen people demolished with chairs and kick out on one. So you know it's it it, does, it was of its time and the sheep herders weren't on their full fire breathing because it was obviously like they were there for one night. They weren't staying. <laughs> Because they started, as the, they started as the Bushwhackers not long after this, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, um, and you, you can see you the see begin, beginning of the Bushwhacker kind of approach to life. Absolutely. Even the way they're stomping around the ring and stuff, it's all kind of there. Yeah. But um, with Brad and Bart uh, celebrating at the end, you know, it's like they won the World Cup. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oh my god, you lads are just total heels. Like, <laughs> you, you didn't really win at all. Like, you just, you know. Anyway, so, so yeah, uh, Brad, Brad and Bart were outlaw wrestlers. They were trained by Angelo Poffo. That was uh, Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo's dad. And oh, wow. they were IWC for a long while, and then became kind of journeyman wrestlers and made it in the less famous territories, if that makes sense. Which is not a bad way of going about your career. You know, go to places that. Can pay you good money and stay there. <laughs> yeah, look, it makes sense. You know, you can either that or else sign up with WDB or WCW, and you know, this seems like a much better way of um, way of doing things. Now, look, what I will say is, what really started to irk me halfway through the show was the way this is like. I know not everywhere has WWE or WCW production, but Christ, like <laughs> the graphics are terrible. And <laughs> your your man standing outside, like. It's like get in the ring and like call it that way, reading from a card, you know. <laughs> there are little things, but you're like, oh man, this is so low rent, you know. <laughs> no, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Also, amazingly, and this is absolutely amazing, do you know who's the current booker for WWC? Oh, go on. Luke Williams. What? <laughs> <laughs> Bushwhacker Luke books oh, for WWE. Oh, well, it, come, it comes full circle. Okay, yeah. That's he went. Fast. Yeah, that's ace. Um, but yeah, Luke, Bushwhacker Luke. Because uh, apparently, I, I watched the Bushwhacker shoot interview, believe it or not. I was writing a story about the Bushwhackers ages ago. And Butch and Luke came up with most of their angles in WWE. They wrote them themselves. Yeah. That, that's, that's probably why you were able to see, even at this point, the what they would kind of do. And, you know, the, we, we don't, the mannerisms, because it was their character. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. So, well, it didn't what, fall far from the tree, did it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was. It was something very natural. Which, you know, we've, that's always the best wrestling performer. You know, when you can kind of take stuff from your own personality or something that you understand completely. It's like any kind of performance. Um, yeah. it this next match, um, bleh, wasn't a fan of it. Wahoo McDaniel and Danny Spivey. Yeah, this is like the definition of a piss break. <laughs> well, Wahoo was a couple of years past his prime, I'll be honest. And I'll be honest, Danny Spivey, I'm a big fan of Danny Spivey because he's just just a big dude who throws people around. And again... But that's it, you know, that's what kind of match it was now, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, like, he kind of wrestles like Kane. Yeah. Um, you know, when, but when you have a Kane match, this is the, what I mean. Like, it can be a good Kane match or it can be a bad <laughs> Kane match. And this was a bad Kane match. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, look, I, I, I do see why you like him, but. Yeah, I, well, you know, I mean, from it, here. Again, it's the same issue. I mean, Danny was in his prime in all Japan pro wrestling in the, like, in the 1990s. The final, the 1992 final of the World Tag Strongest Determination Tag League. With Stan Hansen and Dan Spivey versus Doc and Gordy, mm. chucking each other about for 25 minutes, and it was brilliant. And to be honest, Dan didn't have any knees then, <laughs> so you know this was this was the knees were on the downhill slide at this particular point, and he injured himself out of football. He couldn't play football anymore. That's why he took up wrestling, which is because of his story. Wahoo mm. McDaniel, massive star for the New York Jets in the 1970s. Um, he was a defensive. He was a linebacker. And every time he got a tackle, he had his name, his first name on the back of his jersey, not his second name. And the New York Jets announcer would go, guess who? And the crowd would go, wahoo! And he became <laughs> a massive star in New York. And that helped his wrestling career. You know, he wrestled in the offseason because he wrestled, played football for the AFL, which didn't pay an awful lot of money <laughs> back in the 1960s before the TV deals came in. And right, right. played football in the offseason. Him and Ernie Ladd both did it. But Ernie Ladd played for the Kansas City Chiefs and was a massive star in the North Carolina territories. And Wahoo was, he was, he was Crockett Promotions. Wahoo was very, this was the kind of downside of Wahoo in this particular case is like, when you're wrestling Ric Flair and Greg Valentine who will bounce all night for you, then you're great. Danny can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't do that. And Wahoo was, he was a stiff old bird. He didn't like running the ropes, so he didn't run the ropes. That was I it. At, I look at work for him, you know, as I said, it's, but that kind of thing where if you limit yourself to that extent. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it, your career is not going to, it's going to take a very set path, shall we say. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what I got from this. Um, yeah. And look, you know, it. this is, some people just like this big hoss um, yeah. kind of stuff, but. Was what it was. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had a, a proper Lucha Libre style blood fest. <laughs> this was now, fun. I really this, enjoyed this match. Tiki Star is a famous heel from Puerto Rican wrestling. Invader 3 was of the Invader group, not Invader 2, who was the person responsible for, well, let's be blunt, murdering um, Frank Goodish, the Bruiser Brody. Um, and we try and avoid talking about that particular incident because it's still upsetting to an awful lot of people some 30 years later. Uh, but he was in Invader 3. The Invaders were a big baby face kind of group in, in Puerto Rico at the time. Chicky Star was a brilliant heel, absolutely brilliant. And this sets up from uh, an angle on another stadium show 
uh, where Cheeky Star had a talk show, much like the Brother Love show or, say, the Barbershop, which was a similar kind of thing at the time. Um, yeah, and, and it was it was weird to see that kind of stage just appear in the middle of the ring. <laughs> or, like, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheeky Star was supposed to interview one of the medics or medicos it was another southern tag team that, that spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico and didn't notice that the guy coming out of the car to go be interviewed was a completely different body shape, even though he was wearing a medic's mask, uh, who then clogged him with the back end of a two-by-four. Um, and he took a really gruesome bump on the back of his head and split the back of his head open. That was nasty. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually amazed this was allowed on YouTube because it's not, like, fake. No, no. It's- he- proper yeah. my head is split open yeah genuine hole in the back of the head yeah. kind of feel um and from there they had a, a grudge match and it was an exceptionally good grudge match and there was blood everywhere again <laughs> 10 minutes and 29 seconds of something that's quite violent um but it it, it worked and you know it was it, it it really sold the fact this was a blood feud definitely what are your thoughts on the match Dara? It was, uh, it was shot different than everything else, um, and kind of had that, had that um, grunginess to it. You know, like it's, yeah, it's kind of weird the first time you see someone in a lucha mask be so violent, because um, you usually don't expect that, um, particularly at this time. But my God, they bled everywhere. And, um, <laughs> it, it was something that you could do nowadays, and people would love it. So it's the most kind of transferable match on this whole card, in my opinion. Um, it was weird. Also, that screen that started appearing after this point, showing the, the kind of netting. Yeah. Where did that come from? Because that just okay. appeared at this point. So what they did was um, in to try and sell more tickets, essentially, was there was an arena on one side of the street and there was a baseball stadium on the other side of the street. Right. right. So, so that's sold- the baseball stadium. So they sold out all the tickets in the hall, and then the hall would have its section of matches, which would be main evented by Wahoo, Daniel, and Danny Spivey. Then the screens would come down, and the action would move over to the baseball stadium, and then they would do the rest of the matches in the baseball stadium, except for the main event. But I think it was basically, while they were trying to sell the main event, which was obviously fairly complicated, yeah, they'd move it over. Yeah, yeah they'd move sense. to the baseball stadium and televise into the arena. So you got, you literally got like ten thousand in the arena and another thirteen thousand in the baseball stadium. Well, hey, look, it's smart business money to, to well, business decision to charge twice, but that screen just was very annoying um, <laughs> at the point. So whenever they go back, it's like that looks really weird. Um, well, it was also handy because then the fans couldn't throw sharp objects at the heels. See, that's what I thought it was initially. <laughs> I was like, oh, this, they must really hate these guys. To, yes. you know, yeah. I, that, that did happen. I, I remember the, listening to Tully Blanchard. He went to Puerto Rico once and had actual concrete slabs dropped on him. Yikes. That they were, they'd torn up the concrete bleachers and thrown it at the wrestlers. And he wouldn't go back unless they paid them double. <laughs> Because he he didn't want to but obviously like getting hit by a concrete slab is pretty deadly. Um, oh yeah, it's not it's not a good not a good day. Definitely no, not a good day. No. <laughs> you like you know Tully Blanchard as a wrestler back in the day was a very talented heel and he could rile up an audience really really well. But yeah. he didn't want to die. 
which is fair enough, I feel. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think so. I don't think anyone would uh, would argue him on that. But uh, look, this match was really good. Um, as I said, it's the most transferable match mm. on the card, I think. It's one that holds the best. Um, really, really unique thing. Either the police show up or the army, which yeah. is weird. Um, so <laughs> that just shows you how real this was. You know, they had yeah. literally like an armed escort almost. Yeah, this is it. Like the Puerto Rican police force. I'm sure some of them were carrying cattle prods. They were definitely had the nightsticks out. They were, they were, they they were prepared for action uh, easily. But yeah, no, this this was yeah, this was. They knew that this was going to be a heated match, and it was a heated match. So it was going to get a heated reaction. Yeah. So, and then you come to a match. If you if you wanted things to calm things down, I've got your men for you. That'll be Ronnie Garvin in the Iron Sheik. <laughs> not a, um, um, again, a Mac classic. This was not. No. But, you know, a, a nice, cool, again, this was another what you would determine a pee break. But yeah. uh, total cooldown total, total cool down before the last two main events, I suppose. I was thinking that, but then I also remembered this is a former WWF champion versus a former NWA heavyweight champion. Fair. But yeah. still not a good match. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie, the Iron Sheik held the title for three days and Ronnie yeah. Garvin held this for two months. Mm-hmm. But they, it is a former world champion versus world champion match and would have been a draw in North America in certain regions, certainly. Certainly in the South, I would think. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much. Maybe a little bit in New York. I don't think Vince would kind of put this on, but certainly it was, it'd be something that was, uh, well, obviously Sheik went back and Ronnie, Ronnie Garvin went back not long after this. Or went to WWE not long after this, so it was it was kind of a match provided by the NWA, but again it was kind of a squib finish. But again, it's it's Ronnie Garvin could go, and Iron Sheik could go at this point, not for much longer. Bless yeah. his cotton socks. Um, Sheiky baby was doing his best here, but he was really trying as well. Jump jump Ronnie Garvin from the start, and it kind of created a fair bit of an interesting matchup. But again, squib finish with. Uh, Ronnie Garvin just making it inside the 20 count, not the Iron Sheik. 20 count in Puerto Rico, by the way, not 10. Yeah, absolutely, which he wasn't too happy about, but you know, I, I'd served its purpose. It was one of those things to still have the feel of, of the WrestleMania-style booking thing, but, you know, it was what it was. Like, yeah. uh, I, I was happy to see the Sheik be able to go and actually go um, which was nice, but there's only so much you can do, even as two former world champions. Yes, in brackets. Yeah, <laughs> on paper, so, world champions. Yeah, in parentheses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up was uh, one of the big main events of this show. It was a tag match: Hair versus Hair. Hurricane Castillo and Miguel Perez Jr. defeated Bobby Jaggers and Dan Crawford. 13 minutes and 19 seconds. This was Bobby long. Jaggers. This was, yeah. This, was a long well, match. It, it was technically very good. Probably the best technical wrestling match on the card, I would think. Oh, absolutely. These two teams, I wasn't familiar with either one of them, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the, the level of tag team wrestling at this point in time is something that you don't expect to see. You don't think, yeah. you know, you think you're conditioned to believe it's more of a modern thing where they figured all the the nooks and crannies out or a Japanese thing. But no, man, this is, you know, 
there were some really good spots. You had your outside stuff. I, I don't know. I, I always enjoy. It's just something I enjoy whenever wrestling happens where wrestling shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's always a bit of fun. Um, and at the baseball stadium. In the rain. <laughs> yeah, kind of like added to that. So that was fun too. But yeah, um, yeah look, it was really good. Um, it was a long match, like a very long match for what it was. I was expecting this to be about five minutes shorter. The finish yeah. certainly looked like it was going to come five minutes shorter than it did. But <laughs> still, absolutely uh, top tier for this show. Um, you know, and again, we are. I, I want to be fair here and grade this at its at its level. Um, but this was definitely, you know, they, they, whoever was booking this knew how to build tension. And this kind of really did was a payoff going into what would only be topped by the fire match. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to build to that, and they managed to do it. Yeah, they they, they managed to build this to a crescendo because, like, you read about Puerto Rico being this the the home of violence, and to an extent it was, but they pace it. They don't just like have like it's not ECW where I mean, God bless ECW, but equally it was as McFoley quite rightly said, like the equivalent of watch going to the circus and watching a guy being shot out of a cannon twelve times. Yeah, uh, like you're, you're not going to see one, some some lad's brain get scrambled with like 16 chair shots. No, not going to no. happen. Like he might bleed all over the place, but a lot of that is gimmicked. And you know, even even in the fire match, very little gets done with the fire. It's just no, the spectacle no. of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is some hokey stuff on this. Like Ricky Santana clearly been at it with the Alcazel so after yep. uh, being yeah. put in Cobra clutch for about three minutes by Mr. Yeah. Pogo at the end of the match, and then foaming at the mouth. Yeah, but that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, okay. Yeah, properly gimmicked angles and stuff. But yeah. this is this is solid. Has Castillo and Perez are a cracking tag team. Jaguars Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's good stuff. It is, and I'd say like you know, did, did, that would be the match that I like that the Satana match are the two that I would give to uh, to anyone. You know, as as like a real wrestling match um, yeah. to watch, and then I'd be like, hey, check out the fire match because. For 1988, holy cow, that's yeah. very forward thinking. Yeah, I mean, I, there was fire matches in FMW a couple of years later, but they didn't get it right at all. I'll explain no. that in a minute when we got to that. But just uh, for the people, obviously Miguel Perez had time in IWA and FMW. I think he had time in WWE as well. As, well I think he was part of the Bar- Barricas, wasn't he, with Savio Vega and somebody else. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, Bobby Jaggers was another outlaw wrestler who did quite well on the southern circuit in the non-big territories and really found a home in Puerto Rico. Uh, was kind of top uh, American heel for a while. Dan Crawford was a stampede guy. He was trained by Stu Hart. Um, and uh, he also, it was another guy who made it big in Japan with his tag team with uh, Doug Furness and obviously went to WWE in the end with Dan as Phil LaFont in the WWE. Mm underrated tag team they were all asian tag team champions and record number of times giant baba loved them booked them on every tour actually the biggest feud they were involved in was in mexico where they wrestled uh the silver kings for the uwa tag team titles and i think they did it they had a match in mexico city in a arena at thirty-six thousand when they were the main event so i can see why i can see why these guys knew what they were doing yeah so, and it, it came across. Yeah, Dan Crawford was an excellent wrestler. You should look up more of his stuff. And then we get to the main event. Carlos Colon, the legend, 
the babyface draw, perhaps the most over babyface I've ever one of the three most baby over baby faces or four most over baby faces I've ever seen in my life <laughs> mm-hmm. against Hercules Ayala Ayala I should pronounce it properly Hercules Ayala big monster dude in yeah, a fight yeah. match the, the interesting thing to me I'm watching this now so to give you the scenario you have a ring and you put like mm-hmm. mechanics wire or bailing wire around the ring and about eight little fabric torches which you cover in light fluid and set fire to them but that's it. It's just a regular wrestling match inside this hellish environment. So yeah, like, it's not it's not an inferno match. No, which no. is what some people would think. So it's not like the fire is away or it's like a wall of fire. It's literally just a bunch of like circular fireballs on a string. Yeah, and you know what? I actually kind of prefer this. Yeah, fair enough match because it feels more like there's there's points in the match where he, you know they're touching the fire or they keep they keep you know doing the spot where they move their head over to it and all that kind of stuff yeah. and it's like man this is dangerous you know oh. <laughs> it's like this feels really dangerous you know I, I can tell you how dangerous FMW tried to do this a few years later with Taz and Goto and Atsushi Anita versus the Sheik and Sabu. Now, the thing is, they didn't use small torches. They essentially used some logs tied mm-hmm. to the side of the ring in a baseball stadium outside. And the wind caught up. Oh, no. So, of course, the flames go up. But the flames are, and it's raining, so the flames get died down. So all we're left with is smoke. Now, obviously, Sabu, Anita, and Gotha uh, bailed out the ring as quickly as they could. But grand old Sheik, the original Sheik, bless him, was about 62 and didn't move very quickly. And nearly died of nearly died of smoke poisoning, so you've got to be very careful in this particular environment. But these guys are clearly well practiced. They've laid it out. They knew what they were going to do, and it, it made for great presentation. We have kind of knocked them on the production, but this was perfect. Just the way it was enough spectacle to keep you interested, and it was dangerous enough to add an element to the match without it being ridiculous. This made up for all the weird little production choices. <laughs> Honestly, like this alone, they should do this again. You know, like this is what AEW should do. This would be great. Yeah. Um, honestly, yeah, like because it's it's <laughs> yeah, it, like look, it's safe enough to do. Honestly, but yeah, yeah. you know, you have to do it right, and maybe don't do it outdoors with wind. <laughs> but um, yeah, this was great. This this. This, you can really tell that these guys hate each other to this yeah. point. Like it's, it, it it's kind of for me. It served the purpose of like a cage match, but with that little bit extra that you wouldn't see. So, yeah, man, I, th- I fully think they should bring back the fire match. <laughs> fire match twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> you pitch it to Tony Khan. Oh, absolutely. I think I think he totally does. Sure, you see why he let Maharty do. You know, obviously oh. they don't care. Yeah, yeah, perhaps so. If they've got some people who are correct, well, Moxley would love this kind of thing. Oh, obviously. Moxley would be all over this, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> totally the, you know, half the lads there would be doing it. That's the thing, you know, any company to do Vince would run a million miles from this, but, oh, man, I can see AEW doing this. That's um, the thing. Absolutely. Moxley, Moxley and Janela, obviously. That's... Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that's exactly who I would have picked. <laughs> Just, oh, it'd be great. Unbelievable. Build- 
turn Joey Janela heel and then build up this massive feud between him and Moxley. Yeah, but, build, yeah. It for, build it for about you know, three to six months and then pay it off with a fire match. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, Carlos Colon was a massive star in Puerto Rico and not really anywhere else. He no. did Ric Flair for the NWA Heavyweight Championship kind of by accident in one of those rare cases where Rick looked at the crowd, was about to bay for his blood and realized that losing was probably the better part of Bella. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we're just like, yeah, we have to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick dropped it to Carlos and Carlos um, dropped it to Rick a couple of days later to, to save Rick up the embarrassment. <laughs> and it was never this. mentioned again. Um, but uh, Carlos's biggest match probably in North America was the match on the first Starcade in 1983, underneath Rick Flair versus Harley Race, where he paid off his feud with Abdullah the Butcher, um, and which was actually not a bad match. It's well worth a look. Um, but Carlos Colon is, is a massive babyface. I was going to say, the only people I know who were over as him El, El, El Santo in Mexico, who I've never seen wrestle in Mexico, but the, the stories are enough to, to tell you how legendary he is. He is Hulk Hogan, obviously, because no one was as over as Hulk Hogan, except yeah. El Santo. And the Crush Girls in Japan. I have seen literally seen girls scream themselves hoarse over the Crush Girls. And the Carlos Colon is in that upper echelon of true baby faces. He is a genuine hero to the Puerto Rican fans. One thing as well, just before we move on, um, what I really like about the structure of this match is that the actual fire burns out. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, you put a time limit on it. Yeah. And then it yeah. kind of balances out. So by the end of this match, when they're both beaten, the blood's going and that, and they're going to the finish, the fire is burning out. So it's yeah. not something like you have to keep it going. It kind of adds that little bit of um, extra realism to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Carlos Clown, man, like he is Puerto Rican wrestling. Yeah, he has a stranglehold on the whole kind of deal there. The well, he's, the... their, he's, he's their non racist Hulk Hogan, you know? <laughs> um, so Helpful that he's African American. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, look, you have to give Hulk Hogan a bit of crap, you know, because he still has me blocked on Twitter. I don't even know why he has me blocked on Twitter, but. Uh, well, you, you haven't seen this week, but apparently one of his friends got a voting slip for his dog, so he is still on his shit, as it were. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we need, I, need, need to, I need to put, need to put that in the show. That's going into Dave Doesn't Watch Wrestling. I'm going to keep it <laughs> <my> up, <hopes>, though. <laughs> Oh dear. Right. The next bit of film we have for you, I'm going to link all this up in the Twitter, by the way, because it's a bit of a complicated thing. I wanted to balance WWC against IWA, which is the other big promotion in Puerto Rico still to this day. It's still a two territory uh, area or not quite state, but not quite nation. (laughs) And IWA was originally founded by Victor Quinez in the 1990s as a rival to WWC. Victor obviously also helps the IWA Japan, uh, which is still going to this day. Victor is no longer with us, however. But then Savio Vega, after his run in WWE, decided to put some time and money and effort into really giving IWA a boost. And he became the majority shareholder and started to really push an alternative to what WWC was doing. And his idea, which is quite a successful one, was to use a lot of local talent that were available to him, some former WWC guys that had come over with IWA, and 
to hire in some help from his friends in the WWF. So what you have is a big stadium show with a ramp to the ring that looks somewhat familiar in a ring with uh, red ropes and black pads. Mm, I wonder where he got that idea from. And then you have people like Val Venus and Midian. Yep, yep. And... <laughs> it's the strangest WWE show I've ever seen. Yeah, but it's not quite WWE. No, it's not. It's like someone's seen WWE, didn't really understand it, <laughs> and then took like a load of drugs. And start editing. <laughs> that's and that's what happens because, like, you start the show and if you survive the epileptic attack, the epilep the epilepsy attack from the editing, then yeah. you're just met with like random bits of things. Yes, and then more random bits of things, then a segment, then kind of a match, then the Undertaker shows up for some reason. <laughs> they have a match and it's just it's fucking crazy like it's it's just like what is this so what, what I like to think happened is you know they, they, they shot a bunch of stuff and then he did loads of drugs and then he started editing it because <laughs> I tried to look up the actual like card to find out what's going on and I'm like, well, okay, that makes sense. But this video, this 45 minute video or 43 minutes, whatever, it's just shot so weirdly. Um, you know, you still have all this talent, but it's like not full matches. They're like clips of like random bits of the show. Yeah. So you're walking through it and you're like, okay, match, match, in ring segment, match, match, random cutaway clip. And it's just, it's very weird. It's, this is like a WWE house show. That's exactly what this is. And this is probably what, because like, obviously I was too young. Um, no, I wasn't too, WWE didn't come here that much. No. So the first time I remember seeing a WWE show was like 2004, 2005. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what this felt like. Or like WWA, if you remember that. Um, yeah. That's what this really felt like, even down to its graphic. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, man, it was. Yeah, I think this was a smart way because this is like if this had been edited better or made a bit more sense, it could have been more successful than it was as yeah. like beyond an oddity. But the way it's edited, it feels like um, that you remember that was a world wrestling revelation or what was it? Oh, Pro Wrestling Society X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was on MTV. That's what this feels like. You know, that's what yeah. really, really, really feels like. But with WWE talent. Yeah, I have to say, I'm shocked that Vince let this happen. <laughs> Honest to God, like this is like peak attitude era, 1999. Taker's yeah. there. Like fair enough, I could understand if Valvinus was there, or like yeah, Haka or Big Bossman, like they're okay. But fucking Taker's there and Kane is there, and you're like, whoa. Oh, oh yeah, like whoa. mankind. Big Foley went. Yeah, he, it's, he wrote the by big shows there. You know, it's it's absolutely crazy. He did. Uh, he did some shows. He wrestled the Undertaker on a loop for them, and um, he did it to buy a playset for his kids. That was that was. <laughs> I'll play. I'll, I'll do these couple of shows, and I get the money. To buy the playset for the kids, and then he walked out on this baseball stadium show, and someone poured something down his back, and he realized from the smell it was urine. Uh... 
So every time he saw uh, Noel uh, and Duke playing on the pace set, all he could think of was piss being poured down his back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but I, it, I, the weirdest part about it was wasn't even the random cuts because like we would be stretching to call the wrestling segments matches. Yeah, we, we can't do it like we normally do a card where we break down each match and talk about each match because there isn't enough of that. Yeah, it, that's what I mean. It, it's like it's like exactly what Wrestling Society X was, where yeah. they'd have a decent match, but cut it and hack it to bits, where it's like, okay, there's no wrestling match left. There's <laughs> wrestling bits left, but there's no match. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. Like, it's it's really bizarre to watch. I think it would be fair maybe to leave a link in our Twitter in the Twitter thing to this so people yeah. can actually like see it because it is yeah. on YouTube. Um and yeah man it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just weird. It's very what no I really I, I so we had that but what I really enjoyed was like the the soap opera bar. Yeah. And, yeah. the, and the and the soap opera little breakaways where it's like you have like pretty much a WWE level production stage yeah. but then it goes backstage and it's like something from a no you know novella <laughs> and there's there's some woman there like the boobiest woman i've seen in a while and she's there and she's talking to, to some lads and it's gas she's wearing an outfit that is held together with hopes and dreams absolutely like if if, if jerry king lawler was commentating this i'm sure we'd have some great things to talk about on the rewind but like <laughs> she knows she's like yep yeah, I've got these and the lads are just, you know, cutting a promo and that's it. But these segments are hilarious because it's like, it's like they stole a, a scene from, uh, from Nickelodeon. Yeah. You know, the Nickelodeon orange, but then it's hard cut with like some lad standing beside like a, a black background. It's like, you couldn't have sprung for something a little more, a little bit more interesting. But I do like the fact that uh, Hugo Savinovich shows up wearing his WWF shirt in a much nicer setup where he has all the monitors behind him. I'm like, that's actually a really cool way. Why didn't you do everything there? So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's strange. I, I think like there was a lot, from looking at this, there was a fair amount of like WWE involvement, obviously, but a lot of WWE suggestions. And it seems like, like yeah, yeah, cool. We'll use some of them. But we're also going to use our own stuff too. And that's where the weirdness happens. Yeah, I think... I... I, it kind of, like, I suppose you could see it as kind of a dry run for NXT. Obviously, NXT wouldn't come along for a long time yet. But it is, it's sandboxing out ideas, it's giving presentation, it's giving guys more work, yeah. and opportunities to do different things and take different approaches. And... Well, I think this is fantastic, though. Like, obviously, take the drugs off your man and fire, and fire him <laughs> and get a different editor. And then he'd be grand. <laughs> But this, like this approach, this could have worked. This would have been great because we've seen, we saw what this, what this kind of thing evolved into. Literally, like I don't know what it was with those metallic graphics, but this yeah. is what WWA would do. And actually, we might do a WWA show on the rewind soon. Let us know if you want us, if you want us to do a, a rewind show on WWA because that shit's that's mad. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I don't think anyone's really seen that. But that's what this feels like. And that was like three years later, four years later. So it's like. Okay. Yeah, maybe they're all a part of the same wavelength. Um, but yeah, like, look, it's it has a lot of potential to it. It's just it's a shame that it's a shame that there isn't much to really kind of dig into outside of just the random blurts because it is just shot in such a weird way. And there were some good matches here from what I can see from the wiki. It's like actually, I would love to see those kind of stuff. Like 
there was a tiger mask. Tiger mask was on it. Tajiri yeah. had was, was with Black Scorpion. Jeff Jarrett, uh, not Jeff Jarrett, sorry, Jeff Hardy was super crazy. You know, it's like I actually want to see those. Christopher Daniels was on this show. It's <laughs> yeah, like, where's Christopher Daniels? They were all working for CMLL. Yeah, it's like, and come they, on, man. Who has you know, a with IWA? It's, it's just, it's insane. This, this is, by the way, is Tajiri, and Tajiri is another guy. He worked for he worked for IWA Japan. I'm pretty sure he was either FNW or IWA Japan. And he went off on excursion mm. and never went back to Japan. No, because... he kind of went everywhere else. He ended yeah. up in the WWE, like, what, two years later? A year yeah. later? Yeah. He, he went from IWA to CMLL. The first match I saw Tajiri in was wrestling Chris Jericho in Arena Mexico. Um, believe it or not. And they had a corker. It was brilliant. It was, as you'd expect it, like 22-year-old Chris Jericho and 19-year-old Tajiri knocking seven bells out of one another. I'd have but never see, kick anybody so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, that's one thing we said on the show there about um, Rey Mysterio's son. He should go on excursion out to Japan and, like, you know, get good. <laughs> get kicked around a bit and then he'd be fine. That's actually... It's funny how that comes full circle. Like, that's their biggest problem with him now. It's that, like, he has no legitimacy. You know, he's yeah. just Rey Mysterio's son. And, you know, yeah. having that kind of approach would be cool. But, look... That's a different conversation. But look, I, this thing is interesting to see. If you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure James will leave a link to it yeah, on, yeah. on the Twitter. Um, check it out. It's fucking mad. Um, <laughs> but it has a lot of potential. And it's it's weird to see. It's not We'll never see anything like this again. Um, no, because no. you can't. But it's just it's a weird little time capsule. Um, yeah. And the closest thing I can, I can say, it's like Wrestling Society X. Um, but if WWE was involved, and I, yeah. I think the approach of involving local talent in with these big superstars would have been a huge boon. Obviously, they the sellouts look great, but it's such a crazy like it's like an Elseworld story, you know? It's like yeah. <laughs> if Kevin Dunn wasn't always doing promote, wasn't always doing production for the Attitude Era, it would have looked like this. You know, it's weird. <laughs> I think as well, there's a couple of other points you can make about it, like. All right, the the WWC show was ten years earlier, but yeah. WWE still producing kind of that traditional Puerto Rican product, so they needed to be different. Hence the crash cuts and the short matches and the kind of flavor of the whole show. Yeah, like I I, I did prefer the flavor. Yeah. Of IWA. Yeah. I just they really should have been like, you know what? Maybe we want more wrestling. But again. We've said this before, right? The Attitude Era wasn't about wrestling, but, no, it, was, but it also wasn't like no. you know we 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 do a whole show about it. Like, um, but that's that's kind of what it was. It wasn't about wrestling. It was more about the angles. And obviously, if you're trying to sell this to an international audience that doesn't really speak Puerto Rican, um, yeah. how do you do that? Yeah. Okay. This is so. I I get what they were trying to do, and I do respect it. But I'm also like. Listen, I don't care that I don't speak Puerto Rican. I want to see Christopher Daniels. So <laughs> like, you know, but that's, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's a great little time capsule. I will be checking these out. Dave's going to love these. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, that would be fun. We will have to talk. We'll have to do more of these because this is fun. I really enjoyed this. This was great. There, was, there, are, there is some other IWA videos, I'm sure, of like best matches of IWA. So we can have a look at them because there might be a Absolutely. bit more. <laughs> Absolutely, this is so fun. I just, I, I'm just wondering when your man's bag of cocaine is going to run out. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing with it as well, also back then, even in the late 2000s, 
the difference between a top quality indie wrestler or territory wrestler wasn't that much different to what a WWE wrestler was. Yeah. Now, a top Not indie indeed. guy is. I mean, I mean, it depends on depends on the indie guy. I mean, like someone like Eddie Kingston goes to AEW, has one match, blows everybody away, and he's already considered a top guy in AEW. And he should be, because he's been a top guy everywhere for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are other people I wouldn't put in that position who are big names on the indies, but it would be unfair to put them in that position. You know, I mean, like, Warhorse is not a great example, because he actually wrestled a blinder as well. But he, I'm not sure Warhorse could do that five nights a week, whereas Eddie Kingston could do it anywhere. Anytime. Yeah, but then, yeah, but then you have like you know Baron Corbin. Yeah, <laughs> you know in WWE, so it's just like that kind of level is there. I think what was happening at this point is because wrestling wasn't really wrestling. No one really wanted to wrestle, no, unless you're in ECW, Japan, yeah. or whatever, or, or you or yeah or Canada, or you had those workhorse guys. Yeah, WCW. So your 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 bar was oh, I want to wrestle like um, you know, Test or Park or Holly or something. So you know, it was an easier bar to entry. Yeah, that was kind of what we're seeing here. Like, what two or three later, you end up with like Nathan Jones and stuff like this. You know, power plant guys around the same time um, from WCW at this. So it's like, yeah, it it makes sense. You know, if we were to see this now. Obviously, it'd be much different because you have guys looking up to AJ Styles and you know mm. Ricochet and that. So it, it, it's it, it's def like as I said, it's it's literally a screenshot uh, time capsule of its time. Yeah, it yeah. is like the best rendition of what people trying to do the attitude era, which just so helpful with parts from the attitude era could, can do. You know, I think if this was done even in the UK, which would be really interesting, if they had done something like this in the UK, well, what would that look like? And that's what's got my brain going. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, who would we have had? How would that look? Probably would have looked the same, but with yeah. some local guys. And this is what WWE actually should have done. They should have yeah. went around and said, hey, let's do this. This is weird. But now, yeah. again, way ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's insane. And um, that's what I mean. Like, Savio Vega is a really interesting wrestling character. You know, he deserves <laughs> more than... What a lot of people give him, you know, and he's still he's still booking and he's still wrestling and he's still enjoying his wrestling and he's like late fifties now and he's still involved in the industry and and those guys don't get necessarily the credit they do because they were in Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico has it has quite rightly a bad reputation because of the Brody incident and mm-hmm. you know it's horrible what happened to him and a lot of people gave up on that industry you gave up on the industry. Uh, you know, people would just flat out would not work in Puerto Rico. And yeah, one of the yeah. reasons why Savio Vega was so successful with the IWA in that early 2000 period was because it wasn't WWC and it wasn't involved with Invader 2 and it wasn't involved with Carlos Colon. And yeah. it, 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 but it's, it's 30 years since that incident happened. Those people who are not involved in the industry anymore or aren't involved as much. And I can, I, I don't want to remain angry forever about something that we can't fix. And there are still lessons to be learned, even from wrestling in bad circumstances. If that makes but sense. look, it's like everything. You yeah. know, wrestling is wrestling. And that's always going to come with some shadiness. Yeah. It's also yeah. going to come with some racism. 
Yeah. It's just called wrestling, right? It's just the way it is. So, yeah. the, you know, I think the best way to do it is focus on things that we can fix. Obviously, you know, one of the things that we try to do in the Rewind is when we flag something like that, we're like, oh, my God, look how crazy that is. Let's all laugh at it, you know, <laughs> because yeah. it's like that's wild, right? And yeah. that kind of same thing where you're holding the, you know, holding that. It's like, well, that's unfair because it's like 30 years. You know, it's like, you know, most of those people are dead or else they're not involved with it. So, you know, it, it's a shame that I kind of hung over, but it was nice to see someone try something different to try and revitalize it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what this felt, what this kind of felt like. Um, so, yeah, look, man, you know, it, uh, this was my first real exposure to Puerto Rican wrestling outside of, you know, what I've heard in, you know, an interview or what I've read and some autobiographies and i really enjoyed it i thought there was a lot there um if you've never seen it definitely go out of your way to check a few of them um it's crazy and completely different but you know there's a lot of good stuff that we could take from this as i said you know a fire match would fly today yeah yeah great like man that's that's what they should do because it's super safe it's fire so it's only that that goes super safe but you know it's safe enough (laughs) relatively safe (laughs) it's safer than barbed wire Absolutely, yeah. It's like, look, you know, you can gimmick it a lot more, and you know, I, I, the spectacle of it is still like, holy crap, that's unreal. Uh, yeah. And the, the IWA thing, you know, it had a lot of potential to it. I think it was like the trial run for what we'd see, what we'd see. But um, yeah, look, there's a lot there, and if you haven't, it seems to be like a little Pandora's box now of of goodies that we're going to be able to look into as as oddities. But I think there's two ways to look at it as an oddity and also something that was a little bit ahead of its time. Like everything that we've seen there today has elements that sort of really ahead of its time. Yeah, definitely. And it was, like you said, it is a time capsule, but it does lay out a lot of stuff. Obviously, massive influence on FMW in Japan, which in turn, massive influence on ECW. Yeah. It's... Uh, and it's also in the one thing that also strikes me about promotions like Puerto Rico, and it's certainly the same for FMW and for ECW, is mm. working. They were working that land of misfit toys kind of deal, as Taz calls it. The guys who didn't get anywhere anywhere else, the guys who weren't quite good enough, who were just too fat to be blunt, or just too thin, or didn't quite have the work rate, or had a bad attitude, or were labeled with a bad attitude. And people like Carlos Colon, Atsushi Anita, and Paul Heyman were able to mold them into a viable entity that made money. But the difference is, it wasn't like, you know, I'll always criticize AEW, well, Cody Rhodes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hate Cody Rhodes, sorry. Um, Just a visible disgust every time I talk about him. But um, yeah, because like, it's a difference between someone like that who's like, oh, I'm not getting pushed across that my own thing, where it's guys like, look, we can't go anywhere else. So let's yeah. make the best of what we have and do a good product. And that's what kind of the charm is there. You know, it's like, oh, look at you. Look at you there trying. And you're great. You know, yeah. it's that kind of thing rather than this, like, oh, I have a chip on my shoulder and we're going yeah. to rewrite. We're going to make a big kid. And it's like, yeah. So this, is, this, is, this is the thing. This is the, the difference between AEW. And I like AEW. I, oh, I, so don't, I, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't dislike Cody. But equally, they have the pick of all the best indie wrestlers in North America and Japan. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, look, and they deserve it, because they, they've come from nothing, really, and kind of, you know, re- really kind of put themselves there as the number two. But it's it's that charm that yeah. is there when it all hits. 
and you're like, okay, yeah. this is great. And it's ruined when someone like Cody comes out. It's the same with like what used to happen when, you know, it never happened with Jarrett, oddly enough, in TNA, where you're mm. like, because he would get B a yeah. lot. You know, yeah. <laughs> or he'd be the guy to be. So it was never kind of there, but. You know, it's just that kind of stank, you know, and it's just when I was watching these shows, I never got that it was them. Other than the commentators, which was hilarious, um, no one was putting <laughs> themselves over. It was kind of like, oh, we're just going to put on the best show that we can. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, it's just it's just wrestling. That's all yeah, it is. And, that, and wrestling is brilliant when it's wrestling. It's also brilliant when it's not wrestling, but that's a different conversation <laughs> in and of itself. But yeah, man, like, absolutely. If you haven't checked it out, you know, this is over up a whole new whole new thing for me and again like i'm excited to show this to dave because you know he doesn't watch wrestling but he does but <laughs> not modern wrestling okay then well thank you very much for listening to the troopany show today and our trip down memory lane next week i'm not really sure i think well we've got the we'd best get back to new japan there is another tournament in new japan this week they've started <laughs> their iwgp junior heavyweight tag team championship after show and yo had to uh, relinquish their titles and they're having a round robin tournament about that. It is literally, I think, the fourth tournament so far this year for New Japan. So we should be looking at that. If not, we have to do our G1 climax preparation as we get ready for wrestling Christmas. Um, thank you very much for listening today. Daryl, where can we find you on your social media, sir? So if you want to at me on Twitter, feel free to do so. At DaraWV, D A R A G H. WV is myself on Twitter. Um, if you want to check out the shows, obviously you get the Wrestling Rewind here on the True Penny channel every week. Um, but if you want to join us live, listen, that's great because then we can you can chat in and enjoy the lulls. We stream. We used to stream um, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Irish time, but now we're going to swap it and we're going a little bit later. So it's 11 p.m. Irish time. So that's about 6 p.m. Eastern. So that's when we're going to start streaming live. So on Tuesday night, it's going to be the same. Um, and then it'll go up on the True Penny channel like a couple of days later. So if you want to do that, go over to Nerd to Know Media. Um, all the links are there to the YouTube channel and Twitch and all that good stuff. And then we have a bunch of shows, like literally a show every single day. Everything from crazy conspiracy theories to, uh, well, the fun conspiracy theories about Nephilim and giants and floods and all that good stuff to like video games to more wrestling content. So uh, yeah. If you just want the wrestling content, you know, keep it at the Two Penny channel. But do join us live because we want you guys in the chat because that's what it's all about. Speaking of wrestling content, if, content, if you want to watch more wrestling, you can go to powerslam.tv and get a free month when you use our code MULLETWATCH. And that's something we didn't talk about today. Cracking mullets on these cards. Oh, have man. Mullets are coming back as well. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. The, the Batten Twins have some of the best mulletry you will come across. Um, <laughs> it's just it, it's le- feathered and lethal. It, it's just amazing. Uh, anyway, I, love, I, love, I love how eighties that show was. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. you just don't get body hair arrangements like that anymore. Do no, you? you don't. You don't. It was very interesting. <laughs> I must say. Okay, my my name is James Troopany. You can find me on Twitter at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook, where you can find us at the Troopany Show, and of course on Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Please do and take care. We will see you soon. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Guys.